0: So yesterday when Pastor Ron told me I'd be preaching today, he said... (laughs) That's just a joke. He told me like a month ago. Um, My name is Andrew Bessie. If you don't know me, um, hi. I'm the ministry intern here at Village Bible Church, and I usually work with the children. So this will be different and more interesting to have your attention the whole time. Uh, A lot of times when you work with children, it's fun because you'll be in the middle of a point that you think is really impactful and they're about to take home and one of them will just walk up to you and say, hey, I drew a picture of a dog and they'll show you what they drew during your lesson. So if nobody does that today, I think we'll have a successful sermon. (laughs) That'll be great. I I won't be upset if you do. I mean, just preference. Let's pray as we come to God's word and look at some interesting names that he reveals to to us of himself in scripture. Lord God, I thank you for a great opportunity to look at how you have revealed yourself to us, Lord. And we thank you that you love us enough to show us who you are through your names and through your word. So, Lord, I pray that we would be humble as we approach your word; that we'd recognize your sovereignty, your authority, and that we would submit to it. Lord, uh, we understand that as we approach your word, that you are the one speaking. So, Lord, I ask that I would get out of the way. I ask that. Anything I'd do that would distract from your word would be forgotten and uh, that you'd be remembered. So, Lord, please speak to us today through your word and through these names. In Jesus' name, amen. If you haven't been with us, this is not a normal Sunday. We don't usually send people off, although it seems like we do that now almost every week. Uh, it's a joyful thing and a sad thing and a lot of emotions go through it. Um, so if you cry during... My sermon. I understand that that's probably not about me, so that's that's okay. <laughs> You're welcome to do that. We're in the middle of a series on the names of God. Pastor Ron talked about in one of the first weeks that names have importance. They have significance. They represent role, authority, uh, especially when God uses them. They represent something about His nature and something about the innermost part of who He is. Pastor Ron mentioned in the first week that we're going to go over over hundred names of God in this series. And it's my belief that we're doing 55 of them today. (laughs) Though we do have several names for you, but we're not going over 55. I think we have about seven. My number could be off. I wasn't great in math in college. So that can happen. On a serious note, the weight of these names is important. It's significant. As God reveals himself to us, we see his nature and we see who he is. And that's not something to be taken lightly. The name of God is something that should be approached with fear and trembling. I want to be careful to represent God well. I understand that I will not represent Him fully, but I will do my best to be faithful to what He has represented and presented in Scripture. There was over a thousand verses that I looked at to prepare for this, and I had to cut a lot of them, and I told Pastor Andrew yesterday, that it doesn't really feel Christian to be cutting verses when you're preparing for a sermon. Uh, How do you decide what's significant and not significant in God's Word? Um, So I I pulled what I thought, and through prayer, was the most important and impactful verses on uh, these names. And you can see other places in Scripture and do study on your own on these names, and that's a great thing that I encourage you to do, because these names are all over Scripture. So go ahead and do that on your own after today not during, although if you do it during, please don't tell me in the middle. That would be appreciated. The first name we're going to look at today is the Holy One of Israel, Kadesh Israel. I butchered that, I'm sure. But it's the Holy One of Israel. This holy name of God is something that should be taken very seriously. It emphasizes His uniqueness, His otherness. God is so other, so apart from us that He is holy and He sits enthroned In holiness, the angels cry out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. We sing a lot about that today, and I thank Josh and the worship team for leading us in worship through that today. Holiness is grounded in God's very nature. It's who he is. He is holy. He is set apart. He is fully other. He is above and apart from the world that he has made. And this is not a fluffy, easy, apple pie in the sky type of thing. Not something to be taken lightly. God's holiness is a very, very serious thing. Uh, Hebrews 10, 31 says that it is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. It's a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And this is because of his holiness. This is because of his perfection and our lack of perfection. You'll see in your uh, worship notes, Um, that 2 Kings 19.22 is where we're drawing from. To start off here, 2 Kings 19.22, this is Isaiah as he's prophesying against against Sennacherib, and he says this to Sennacherib about God. He says, Whom have you mocked and reviled? Against whom have you raised your voice and lifted your eyes to the heights? Against the Holy One of Israel. Against the Holy One of Israel. This is who you've mocked and reviled. This is who you've raised... Uh, your eyes to the heights against him. Uh, just a quick note: if you don't have a Bible, there are Bibles in the chairs in front of you, on the underneath part where some of you put your feet. Um, that's where some Bibles are, so you can grab those and follow along. Uh, here, Isaiah emphasizes the holiness of God and the the weight of this thing. It's a dreadful thing, again, to fall into the hands of the living God. Ezekiel thirty nine seven says, "My holy name I will make known in the midst of my people Israel." And I will not let my holy name be profaned anymore. And nations shall know that I am Yahweh, the Holy One of Israel. This Holy One of Israel, this holy name of God, is not something like most names of God that we see only in the Old Testament. It's also carried into the New Testament as uh, there's a scene where this man with the unclean spirit um, is with Jesus. And Jesus confronts him and tries to cast out the spirit and does so successfully. There's... The shocker of the day. Um, Jesus wins. Um, he casts out the spirit, but before he does it, the spirit looks at him and the man cries out, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Jesus is the Holy One. God is the Holy One. Even though God dwells in a high and holy place, this is good news. Even though God dwells in a high and holy place, He also dwells with those of a contrite and lowly spirit. Even though He dwells in this high, unattainable place, He also dwells with the contrite and the lowly of spirit. And that is only through the grace of Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit. That is only through the grace of Jesus by the Holy Spirit that we are even allowed to dwell with Him. And the good news is that the Holy One does not reject us, that He's patient. His holiness involves not only God's separation from sin, but also His absolute hostility toward it. As God's hostile towards sin and He is so separate from it, He's still patient. And He still gives us opportunities for salvation and opportunities to enter into His grace. This Holy God, the Holy One of Israel, this name of God, is something that requires a response from us, too. It's something that requires action from us. Uh, a lot of times in this world, you're, you'll hear "Don't be perfect." Nobody's perfect. Um, the great pop star Hannah Montana wrote a song called "Nobody's Perfect." Um, that's a joke, by the way. Don't take that seriously. She is not a great pop star, and it's not it. Gotta be careful. Um, that's wrong. Um, God is perfect, and also He commands us to be perfect. Leviticus 19.2 says to be holy as I am holy. Therefore, you should be holy as I am holy. We're called to be holy as believers and to imitate Christ by the grace of the Holy Spirit. Now, as I look around this room, I can tell you that no one in this room is holy. No one in this room is good enough to be holy on their own accord. Uh, Again, it's by the grace of God. It's by the grace of Jesus. We will be presented to God on that last day as holy, but it is by nothing that you did. It's by nothing that I did that we will be presented as holy. It's by the blood of Jesus that God will see us as holy in his sight. And I await eagerly for that day and long for that day. The law does not give us the power to be holy as God is holy. You cannot do enough good. In fact, I'd argue that apart from God, you cannot do any good. The law does not give us enough to be holy. Rather, it shows us our shortcomings and it shows us our need for God, and for his grace. We need Jesus. In John chapter 6, there's this scene where uh, Jesus teaches this very difficult teaching. And uh, all these followers of Jesus, apart from his disciples, are with him, and they're listening to this difficult teaching. And they hear what he says, and they leave. And thousands of people are leaving. And the 12 disciples are left, and Jesus looks at them and says, Are you going to go too? Are you, two going to leave? And Peter, in one of his rare victories, says, Lord, to where are we going to go? Because only you have the words of eternal life. But then he says this. He says in uh, John six sixty nine, at the end of his little discourse that he has, he says, We have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. We have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Peter understood that only, the only way to eternal life was through understanding and believing in Jesus as the Holy One of God. That through His grace and through His power was the only way to enter into eternity. In your notes, the implication of response, and I'm going to fill this out with you, is to be holy as He is holy, yet not in your own accord. It is through Jesus by the Holy Spirit. So those blanks are holy and holy. I thought I'd throw you off. I use the same word twice? Be holy as he is holy, yet not on your own accord. It is through Jesus by the Holy Spirit. And as I mentioned in the beginning, these names point to the very nature of who God is. As he is the Holy One of Israel, he calls us to be holy as he is holy. God is so far other and so far apart that the only way to achieve this is through him by Jesus and the Holy Spirit. The next names of God are Stronghold, Fortress. Refuge, sanctuary, shield, strong tower. And these are all uh, very similar words, similar wording. They're synonyms. I'm going to ask a question that you can answer out loud, and you don't have to raise your hand. What do all of these names bring to mind? What do all of these names bring to mind? Protection, safety, strength, security, guardianship. Relief. Very good. These are all great words. They are accurate words to describe what these names of God mean. I look at this as a safety in the midst of war, a safety in the midst of trouble. Bless you. Now, I am the type of person who um, will rarely pray for comfort and for ease and for safety. Yet when I read and studied this, I began to realize that God is a provider of that. And that it's okay to pray for that as you approach God with your own desires of your heart and with uh, what you long for, that he is those things for us. So that was good for me to learn as I studied for this. God has promised to watch over you. He wants to dwell within his people, not just with his people. He wants to dwell within his people, not just with his people. Uh, Those of you who have come to Reality Check heard me a few weeks ago Talk about this. Uh, there's a poem called "Footprints in the Sand." It's a great poem, um, but I think it's a little off. So this poem it goes, "This guy is walking on the beach of life with God." and they're, they're looking at his life, and he sees two sets of footprints, and God's talking about how he's been with him all along, and there's two sets of footprints in the sand, and then they get to one set of footprints. And the guy looks at it and says, where did you go? And God says, where you see one set of footprints, I was carrying you. And that makes us all warm and fuzzy and uh, feels good and sounds great. But I can tell you that that's not enough. It's not enough for God to just be carrying you. Because through the Holy Spirit, God is indwelling you. So where you see one set of footprints, that is you with God indwelling. God just carrying you does not give you the Intimacy of someone who indwells you and knows everything about you. He's not just trying to understand from the outside. Rather, he's on the inside and dwelling you, knowing everything you're going through intimately. He does not want to dwell just with his people. He wants to dwell within his people. God is a stronghold. Psalm 18.2. The Lord is my rock and my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. David wrote that psalm as he was rescued from Saul and rescued from his enemies. And he in that moment understood what it meant that God was a stronghold. He understood what it meant that God was the one who would deliver him, who was the one he could go to and run to. Fortress, Psalm 91, 1-2. through 2. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to Yahweh, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. This fortress language gives us a language of trust, a language of a place to go to, to run to, to be safe, to be comforted. Refuge, Jeremiah sixteen nineteen. O Yahweh, my strength and my stronghold, my refuge in the day of trouble. To you the nations come from the ends of the earth. And say, our fathers have inherited nothing but lies, worthless things, in which there is no profit. This is Jeremiah speaking of the future restoration of Israel. As he says, one day when this will be all restored, you can look to God as your refuge. Even now, you can look to God as your refuge. Everything's going to be brought back together. Understand that he is the one in whom we can trust. He is also a shield. Psalm 119.14 says, you are my hiding place and my shield. I hope in your word. You are my hiding place and my shield. I hope in your word. It's also a strong tower. He's also a strong tower. Uh, Proverbs 18.10, the name of Yahweh is a strong tower. The righteous man runs to it and is safe. The righteous man runs to it and is safe. In times of trouble, that is where the righteous run, is to Yahweh, who is our strong tower. Implication response, to where else should we run, to where else will we run in times of trouble? God alone is our refuge. To where else will we run in times of trouble? God alone is our refuge. A lot of times it's easier to find comfort in this world and in things that are taught to us as comforting, like comfort food or um, a movie or something to get our mind off of things, but we understand that God alone is our refuge, and He alone is the one who can uh, bring comfort and bring peace. In uh, in college, I attended Biola University, which was a great experience, and um, it's a great school. There's I know there's several Biola grads and Biola students in here, and uh, that's fantastic. It's a great school. I uh, my last semester, I had this class where I ended up. <laughs> probably arrogantly, challenging the professor a lot and probably being wrong a lot. And so after classes, I'd stay and apologize for challenging during class and for being disrespectful. And I ended up forming this relationship with him where I was able to talk to him about uh, different things in life. And and one time I was walking around campus and I saw him and I said, hey, I'm going to start children's ministry. And I know that you did that. Is there any way that I can meet with you and get some insight about what it's like to do children's ministry? He said, yeah, of course, I'd love to meet with you. So I met with him, and uh, we ended up growing this relationship of like a mentor-mentee relationship, and, and uh, he ended up asking me to work for him as his TA. And I was stoked, because I honestly was not the best student in any class that I was in. I worked hard, I studied hard, did my best, but there were people better than me, and I accepted that. So to be asked as a TA... Was pretty cool. I'm like, this is awesome. Like, I definitely didn't deserve this. God is the one who's providing. So I started to work for this professor. And, uh, over time, we'd, I'd run things by him and we'd get closer and, uh, he'd ask me to do different things like give out exams and to, uh, come meet with him and go over tests and papers. Uh, during spring break of this year, Uh, As soon as spring break was over, I received an email from Biola University that my professor had been mutually let go by the school. And I was told that I was not allowed to have contact with him, and um, for several reasons, that was a good thing. Uh, So I was left with a lot of questions. And I understand God's sovereignty. I understand his authority. So boldly, I prayed three faithless prayers, I think, Uh, in that I asked God to provide some answers or someone to talk to. Um, I I asked for another mentor, and I asked for another job. Uh, It was nice to have this job working with a professor at a university and work closely. So uh, a week went by, exactly one week, and in the middle of a class, I had to use the facilities, so I got up. And I went to go walk to another building, and I walk into an old professor of mine who says, hey, Andrew, how are you doing? I said, I'm good. How are you? And we make small talk. And he goes to leave, and he stops, and he says, hey, you were a good student, right? To which I laughed. <laughs> <laughs> I, said, I said, yeah, I guess. I, like, I, I don't know how to answer that. <laughs> He's like, yeah, I know that's a weird question. How would you like to be my T.A.? It's like, I just laughed. I mean, it was probably really weird for him that I laughed as he's asking me this question. But in my mind, I'm thinking, wow, why did I doubt that God could actually provide these things and that God had authority to do this? I said, can I pray about it for a week and get back to you? Which I understand that's a weird response. You're probably like, yeah, that's an answer to prayer. Just do it. But uh, I wanted to make sure that there wasn't a reason I shouldn't do this. And he said, have you ever TA'd before? And I said, yeah, it was actually this guy's TA. And he said, oh, I'm sorry. Sorry to hear that. And he leaves. And then I get an email later in the afternoon from him saying, hey, I bet this has been tough for you because it's been tough for me. Would you like someone to talk to about it? So I said, yeah. Um, I don't think you understand the answers to prayer that are going on right now. Um, So I go and talk to him about it. And he explains to me in this meeting that his TAs are usually a mentor-mentee relationship. And he would like to have that with me. Um, so within about a week's time, I got three answers to prayer uh, right off the bat. All faithless. Like, like I, I, For some reason, I don't know why God continues to prove mankind foolish in this, and me especially, that I didn't actually trust and believe enough that God would answer these prayers in this way. And he has the sovereignty and the authority to do so. Um, A month later, I ended up receiving an email from that old professor explaining what had happened. And um, uh, he is on a path to restoration. It's a a good thing that's going on with him right now. But uh, I got every answer to prayer was given to me within a month. And uh, God is so good and he is so sovereign. He is Yahweh Sabaoth, Yahweh of hosts. He has power to answer prayers like this. His names point back to who he is. In First Samuel one eleven, Hannah prays a prayer that is, uh, that is strong in language. Uh, she says, and she vowed a vow saying, O Yahweh of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to Yahweh all the days of my life, and no razor shall touch his head. He'll be a Nazarene. Uh, I will give him to Yahweh all the days of his life. Uh, Yahweh of hosts is an interesting name of God. It does not mean that he is in charge of hospitality, although he is. This is not what this name means. Um, Yahweh of hosts. Uh, it, it, host refers to, if you think back to the birth story of Jesus and the heavenly host is Singh, um, you'll probably remember in Linus' voice, this part, um, but the heavenly host appear, right? That's, that's the idea here, is that Yahweh is Yahweh of hosts. He's God in charge of uh, this great power. This is, it's a war language. Angel armies. Uh, host means an army or an organized group. And this is a positive thing, but like His holiness, it can also be a negative thing. And I'll, I'll walk through that with you. This is a positive thing. First, uh, His name reveals what He's like. It reveals how He acts. And interacts with his people, and how his people are to interact with him. In Psalm sixty-nine six, it says, "Let not those who hope in you be put to shame through me, O Yah, O Adonai Yahweh of hosts. Let not those who seek you be brought to dishonor through me, O God of Israel." It speaks to his power, to his sovereignty, and to his control over all creation. In Second Samuel five ten we see uh, David starting to rise to power as God had promised through this anointing. And David starting to come and uh, take on this kingship that God has promised. And it says David became greater and greater. Why? Not because of his own authority, not because of his own power and skill, but because Yahweh of hosts was with him. It says, for Yahweh, the God of hosts, was with him. Pastor Andrew read and talked about a little bit last week uh, the story of David and Goliath. And in that story, when David challenges Goliath, you'll remember him, Pastor Andrew, last week talking about how he was jealous of the name of God and he uh, was angry over the way God was being treated. The wording David uses, it says, David says to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword, with a spear, with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of Yahweh of hosts. The God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. That's a weighty response to Goliath. And if Goliath understands what that means, he should be shaking in his boots. All of creation serves his purposes. All of creation serves God's purposes. Uh, There's no exception to that rule. Um, And I know that you might not believe it sometimes, especially with political things going on. I might not believe it sometimes or, or trust this truth that all of creation does, in fact, serve God's purposes. He is Yahweh of hosts. He's in charge of everything. Uh, when Jesus is arrested, he mentions in Matthew twenty-six fifty-three. he says, Do you think that I cannot appeal to my Father and he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? Do you not think that I can appeal to my Father and he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? says Yahweh of hosts is in charge of this. He he's, has this power and the ability to do this. No matter what, God is still on His throne. No matter what, God is still on His throne. He is still reigning. Uh, America does not define who is sovereign and who is in charge. God defined that at the beginning of creation. And He still sits on His throne. And He still reigns. And He's still sovereign. Isaiah fourteen twenty-two through 24 and 27. I will rise up against them, declares Yahweh of hosts, and will cut off from Babylon name and remnant, descendants and posterity, declares the Lord. And I will make it a possession of the hedgehog. And I will make it a possession of the hedgehog and pools of water, and I will sweep it with the broom of destruction, declares Yahweh of hosts. Yahweh of hosts has sworn, as I have planned, so shall it be. And as I have purposed, so shall it stand. For Yahweh of hosts has purposed, and who will annul it? His hand is stretched out, and who will turn it back? The beginning is Yahweh on the remnant of Israel and how um, how his authority is going to protect them and going to uh, rescue the remnant. And at the end he mentions Assyria, where he talks about how he's planned this, how he's purposed it. And the hedgehog bit was thrown in because I'm... Hedgehogs aren't legal to own, um, but I think that if they become legal, I'd love to have one, and my mom doesn't want me to have one. So that's also mentioned in Isaiah. It's in the Bible. (laughs) Yahweh of hosts, he's in charge, he's in control of the remnant of Israel, and he protects, and he uh, loves his children. Uh, We don't have time to go there, but if you go to the book of Haggai, Haggai, in uh, the Minor Prophets, he loves the term Yahweh of hosts and continues to use it as Israel is failing to provide God a house and to provide uh, basic things for the temple. He continues to refer to Yahweh of hosts. That says Yahweh of hosts. And it's almost like judgment language where he says, uh, listen, why aren't you doing this? God is the God of hosts. Do you not fear God at all? Hebrews 10.31, again, it is a fearful thing. Is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Yet God secures us if we're believers in this room. He secures us for all of eternity. Again, this Yahweh of hosts is another way of saying, in a way, God of the angels. It's another way of saying God of the angels. In Second Kings six fifteen through seventeen, I'm, yeah, Second Kings six fifteen through seventeen, we kind of see this displayed. 2 Kings 6,15 through 17. we see this displayed. Uh, this is Elisha as he's going out uh, to battle the, uh, he's going out to battle the king of Syria, and this is what happens. It says, "The servant of the man of God rose early in the morning and went out. Behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. And the servant said, "Alas, my master, what shall we do?" He said, do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. So he goes out and he sees all these chariots and all these horses, and there's two guys, and he says, alas, my master, what shall we do? And Elisha says, those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Now, if you're this man, you're probably thinking, this guy's crazy. Right? What what is he talking about? I don't see anything. So Elisha prays, O Yahweh, please open his eyes that he may see. So Yahweh opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Uh, The story goes on from there, but the point that I was trying to illustrate was that this God of angel armies, this God who is Yahweh of hosts, uh, there's more going on than we see. There's more going on than we see, than we think, than we feel. So when your situations and your circumstances come to the point where you are overwhelmed and you think that there's no way that God can do it, there's no way that God can provide, you need to understand that there's more to the story. That God is Yahweh of hosts and he can see the whole context of what's going on and that he, uh, he's in charge of everything. He's sovereign. Um, a lot of times we can do this in the church where we just dismiss the spiritual realm and focus solely on the natural realm And we forget spiritual warfare and the fact that there are angels witnessing even this church service. And there are demons and angels uh, that do exist and do function around us. Um, The spiritual realm is very real. And it uh, does impact the way we live. But understand that Yahweh is in charge of that realm. There are negatives to this. There are negatives to the fact that Yahweh is the God of hosts if you are not a Christian. In Amos, chapter 5, uh, Amos is speaking against the people of Israel here, and they have profaned God's name and have taken lightly sacrifices and worship, and they have not done it from a sincere and pure heart. And so Amos starts to look and go after these people. Yahweh through Amos. It says, Seek God and not evil, that you may live. Amos five fourteen through 16 and 27. Seek good and not evil that you may live, so so Yahweh, the God of hosts, will be with you. As you have said, hate evil and love good, and establish justice in the gate. It may be that Yahweh, the God of hosts, will be gracious with the remnant of Joseph. Therefore, thus says Yahweh, the God of hosts, the Lord, in all the squares there shall be wailing, in the streets they shall say, Alas, alas. They shall call the farmers to mourning and wailing, those who are skilled in lamentation. He's saying, turn. This is the way you should turn. You should be upset over your sin. You should be repentant of your sin because Yahweh is the God of hosts. He is powerful. He is sovereign. He's in charge of everything. Yet, most of the people don't turn. Everyone except the remnant. So God says this in verse 27, I will send you into exile beyond Damascus, says Yahweh, whose name is the God of hosts. Failing to submit to Yahweh, the God of hosts, results in in eternal exile in hell. Yahweh of hosts rules the armies of heaven so they will obey his will. He rules the armies of heaven and they will obey his will. Yahweh of hosts brings heavenly power to the aid of his children, yet do not twist this. He brings heavenly power to the aid of his children, yet don't twist this. Very popular um, story that you'll remember where this was twisted is by a person named Satan, who, tempting Jesus in the wilderness, in Matthew 4, it says in the devil, Matthew 4, 5-7, through 7, Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple. And it said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, He will command His angels concerning you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him again, It is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. He will come to the aid of his children, but don't twist it. Uh, It's not about your will. It's about God's will. Yahweh of hosts is not serving you. Yahweh of hosts is not serving you. You are serving him. I am serving him. His plan is not to fulfill your will. He will fulfill his will. If your will is not aligned with God's will, don't expect it to be fulfilled. Don't expect your desires to be fulfilled. This not only reminds us, this name not only reminds us of the fact that he delivers, but also that he judges. This name, uh, this name is so beautiful if you're a Christian, that God is a God of hosts who has the power and the authority. Yet if you're not a Christian, this name is fearful. It is a fearful name where you look at the God of hosts, the God who can command legions of angels, and you understand that if you're not a Christian, that means judgment. Yet this name meets failure. This name meets failure and it offers deliverance. This name meets failure and it offers deliverance. It's important to note that Yahweh is not merely Yahweh of the armies of Israel. He's not merely Yahweh of America. Although he is the Lord of that and he is in charge of that. But he is so much more. If he were merely in charge of those things, he would be, his powers would be natural. Yet we know that God is supernatural. We know that he reveals himself to us as Yahweh of hosts. Yahweh of hosts. He's in charge of all of creation. Implication and response. Trust God in all circumstances. He's got the whole heavens in his hands. Which is a playoff of the whole world in his hands, but... It's so much bigger than that. God is so much bigger than just the whole world. This name, remember, points back to God's nature and who he is. It points back to his sovereignty, to his power, to his authority. So as we go out, remember, it is Yahweh of hosts that you are serving. And if you are a Christian in this room, that is a beautiful thing. It's a wonderful thing to have God at your back, to have God for you. If God is for us, and who can be against us? Psalm 103, 20-21, we sing a song from this psalm. It says, Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Psalm 84, 12 says, O Yahweh of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. Let's pray. Lord God, you are in control. And we understand that and we feel that. We know that we can do nothing apart from you. We know that if your word abides in us and we abide in you, that your will will be fulfilled. So, Lord, I pray that we would submit humbly to you, that we'd understand your authority, and we'd understand your dominion of this world and over us. Help us to honor you. Help us to be holy as you are holy. Help us to run to you as our stronghold and our refuge. And Help us to understand that when things are tough, that you are Yahweh of hosts your authority doesn't have boundaries. So, Lord, be with us this week and help us to glorify you as we go out from here. In Jesus' name, amen.